there's always this tension between demand and supply because if you grow any part of the equation too aggressively uh, the other part will start to suffer so you have to always balance the demand and supply very carefully at a very macro level it just became so much easier for designers creators entrepreneurs to go direct to their consumers thanks to platforms like shopify bigcommerce uh woocommerce wix square etc so instead of running two different uh, software solutions and two different process paths one for your outsource one for your in-house you're basically aggregating all of that under one umbrella so on today's episode we talk about e-commerce tech supply chain warehouses and real estate it's a great episode you do not want to miss so do stay tuned retail and e-commerce have witnessed an unprecedented transformation in the last decade the widespread adoption of mobile technology, social media, as well as the lowered cost of cloud-based technology have not only eroded the barriers to entry in retail, but it's also led to the rapid rise and dominance of digital native product brands that sell directly to their customers. On this podcast, you'll get the scoop on customer acquisition and retention strategies employed by high-growth digital native product brands. Not being afraid to spend because you know that customer is going to pay it back uh, three or fourfold. That's when you start to unlock channels in a way that they were meant to be used. And- Listen to interviews with experts at the forefront of technology and innovation in digital retail. Three years ago, they wouldn't have come to us because, yeah, the macro trend of cloud, Wi-Fi, broadband availability, that was a real, that was a real problem. Hear firsthand stories from founders of innovative direct-to-consumer brands. Although I was thinking about the competition, I was more thinking about, like, how do I just build a freaking successful business? We focus on driving as much traffic as possible, converting that traffic, uh, and then dumping money back into driving more traffic. These insights will help you consistently 2x growth in specific areas of your direct-to-consumer brand. This is the 2x e-commerce podcast, hosted by Kunle Campbell. As you continue to grow your e-commerce business, access to growth capital would increasingly play a significant role in achieving and surpassing your financial and social goals. Why should you give up equity or pay high interest rates to grow your business? There is a new way to access growth capital that transforms e-commerce businesses. Wayflyer has shaken the way e-commerce operators access working capital. With a dedication to only D2C e-commerce businesses, Wayflyer will fund you on a fairer fund-as-you-grow model. Meaning if your sales slow down, so does the amount you transfer back. There's just a simple fee and the funds you need to grow are deposited to your account instantly. It's worth checking out on wayflyer.com. That's W-A-Y-F-L-Y-E-R. So welcome, welcome, welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast show. I'm your host, Kune Campbell, and this is the podcast dedicated to digital commerce insights for retail and e-commerce teams. Each week on this podcast, we interview a commerce expert, a founder at a direct-to-consumer native brand or a representative from a best-in-class commerce SaaS product and give them a very tight remit to give you ideas you can test right away 
on your brand or your stores so you can improve growth metrics such as your conversions, your average order value, repeat customers, your audience size, and ultimately your gross merchant value or sales. We are here to help you sell more sustainably. Speaking of which, the episode you're about to listen to is an interview I had with the founder, CEO, a co-founder rather, and um, the CEO of ShipBob, Dave. Saxena. Now, if you listen to if you've listened to the podcast, you know all through last year, um, they were sponsors of this podcast, and they're market leading, um, essentially warehouse management and um, warehouse as a service or three PL to largely Shopify, big commerce, and the direct to consumer e-commerce space, essentially. Um, this time I really quizzed him on his backstory, his thoughts on logistics, his thoughts on an, on a, on an ideal e-commerce, you know, um, stack, um, both for domestic and international, you know, um, shipments, what just in time really means. He tells me about, um, their sort of enterprise offering, which I didn't really know about. And, um, you know, I like to gauge, um, you know, because companies such as, you know, ShipBob, big companies have privy or access to so many e-commerce accounts. I wanted to kind of get gauge a temperature as to how e-commerce businesses are doing right now, given all of the macroeconomic headwinds. So if you're looking to find out more about, you know, supply chain, um, about warehousing, you know, the story of ShipBob and um, what to do moving forward in Q4. This is a great episode for you. And I would live you to have this great lesson to, to the episode. Now, if you haven't already, um, I haven't actually made this announcement on the podcast yet, but our Commerce Excel conference is is kicking off on the 22nd and 23rd of um, September. And now's the time to go and get your tickets. They're free tickets and premium tickets. The free tickets allow you to attend completely free on both days. You just get to watch the sessions live. Um, we have a, a, as usual, we have a lovely lineup for, from not just lovely, but a, a, a very strong lineup to help you deliver a strong Q4 and, you know, Black Friday, Cyber Monday results for your team. Um, there's a, there, there are about 10 content streams. It's amazing. Go over to commerceaccel.com. That's commerce and A-C-C-E-L.com. I'll link to it in the show notes to find out more. Um, and if you're interested in either speaking or partnering, reach out to our team, um, reach out to me directly, and I will point you, point you to the right, um, you know, direction. I think the partnerships email is partners at um, 2xecommerce.com and you could reach out to me directly, kune at 2xecommerce.com to, um, yeah, to, to essentially, you know, um, discuss potential, you know, speaker or partnership opportunities. So I shall let you catch up with this episode I had with Druvi Saxena, co-founder, CEO of ShipBob. 
The 2X e-commerce podcast is brought to you by Klaviyo, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. Whether you're launching your e-commerce business or taking your brand to the next level, Klaviyo gives you the tools to get growing faster. That is why it's trusted by over 50,000 e-commerce brands like Brooklinen, Nun, and Chobbies. Build your contact list, send emails that pop, and create marketing moments that build valuable customer relationships over any distance. Get started for free today. Visit klaviyo.com forward slash 2x to create your free account. That is K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com forward slash 2x. Hi, Jovi. Welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast show. It's, it's been a long time coming. Um, you know, we're friends with Ship Bob and yeah, I'm excited to have you on the 2X e-commerce podcast. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for our conversation. Fantastic. Fantastic. Now in the D2C, particularly the Shopify space, you cannot talk about 3PL without the mention of Ship Bob. It's, you know, it's very synonymous to, 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 to fulfillment, to, 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 to 3PL, to, to, to third party logistics. Um, and you're, you're a very dominant, um, you know, brand in, in the direct consumer community. Yeah. My, my co-founder is Devay. Uh, we started the business, uh, in 2014. So we are, we're coming up on eight years. Incredible, incredible, it, and you, you not realize it's, it's that long. Um, essentially, it's it's been it's been that long. It feels your younger company. You know, um, it, it's incredible. Very, very interesting. I want to go down to your back to your 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 back story. Um, let's go real, you know, real far. You know, before two thousand and seven. Um, where did you grow up? Um, and, um, yeah, let's, let's start out with your formative, your formative years. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, uh, both me and Deve actually, we have a common history here. So we both grew up in, uh, Delhi, India. So, uh, our parents were family friends in India. So we really spent our childhood together in Delhi wow. after we graduated high school, we both, uh, came to the U S to pursue engineering. So, you know, I chose a school in the U.S. in the Midwest called Purdue, uh, and they went to University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign, and our family is still very much in India. Okay, okay. But you were still in the state of Illinois, Indiana, I think. Purdue in Chicago. And Illinois, uh, yeah. Yeah, but close. It's like three hours. Okay, okay. Okay. Indiana, what? Yeah. 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 In the Midwest. Okay. And, um, so you guys, you're, you're, you're engineers, um, by, by, by training, how do you have warehouses? <laughs> right. So, <laughs> yeah. I'm just trying to, 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 um, you know, connect those dots. It's, it's wild. Do you, do you want to sort of explain that? Cause I'd have thought like, you know, one of you was like a supply chain XDHL, you know, um, or FedEx or something, but it's, it's like you're both software engineers with pretty much a supply yeah. chain company or obviously tech driven. Yeah, for sure. Company. It is not a natural uh, fit. Uh, I don't think we grew up thinking that we will open up a supply chain company, uh, but our backstory on why we are doing this is after we both graduated, you know, we were in Chicago pursuing our full-time jobs as software engineers, like what we were trained for. Deve was a consultant 
doing actually supply chain consulting for Deloitte. But on the nights and weekends, we were running, you know, a lot. We had a lot of side projects that we would experiment with because we would work under this impression that we would build it. Being the software engineer, you know, the advantage is that you can build things uh, and you would build it. And then simply people would come and start using a product. And, and so one of the startup ideas was around e-commerce. So we, op- we started an e-commerce business uh, and being engineers, again, I guess we were trying to not have to do a lot of work uh, and trying to automate everything in that e-commerce mm-hmm. business. And we were fairly successful in doing that, except the part mm-hmm. around shipping and logistics. And so every time we would get orders uh, and we were in Chicago, we would have to run to the post office here um, you know, at the Willis Tower, which is like the tallest building in Chicago. It's like the landmark building. So their basement has a post office and we would always during lunch hours have to rush to the post office uh, to sh- mail out our e-commerce orders out. There would always be a long line and it was never really a way pleasant experience. Nobody likes start standing in lines and, you know, interacting with the post office crew. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we were trying to automate this for ourselves. We made a bunch of calls to three uh, PLs in this space, and we most of those three PLs said no because we were too small for them. But we knew from this e-commerce community that there's so many other e-commerce businesses, much like ours, right, who are not mm. that big of a company. And so uh, that sort of got us thinking as to how do we sort of solve it for ourselves, but also solve it for other e-commerce businesses who don't by themselves have the same scale. Uh, that these existing 3PLs want. And so that got us into uh, ShipBob. And and I remember, you know, we would stand outside these, this post office that we would go to ship out our orders. And we would basically ask people standing in lines at the post office saying, hey, if there was a company like ShipBob, would you pay uh, us for, you, for using us, basically? And so that allowed us to validate our idea of ShipBob before we actually built anything at all. Okay, okay. So when did... When did you re- when did did you continue the e-commerce business to just get more data in for for ShipBob? When was the handover? Because I guess you're not running the e-commerce business today. Yeah, no, we uh, we uh, you know once we got some market validation about ShipBob, we quickly transitioned from the e-commerce business to doing ShipBob full time. So we got into this incubator mm-hmm. called Y Combinator. Uh, out in California, it has funded companies like Dropbox, Airbnb, Reddit, uh, and several other high-profile startups where they coach and mentor young entrepreneurs. And so, and they also give you $120,000 at that time. And so that got us the initial capital to basically quit our full-time jobs and go all in on ShipBob, which is what we did. Mm-hmm. How long were you in in the Y Combinator, um, you know, campus? And in, in you, so you moved from 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 Illinois, from Chicago to California. No, actually, that's another story by itself. So, yes, yeah, so right. the YC Y Combinator, as it's called, YC is based out of California in Mountain View. It's a three month program, and usually companies, like you just said, you know, they move uh, with their co founders and their team to California, and mo- then that's why maybe. A lot of startups are in California because there's like a network effects of being surrounded by people uh, in the in you know in the startup world. But we decided to continue oh, operating wow. out of Chicago. So every Tuesday, they would have a group meeting. We would just fly to California and then fly back at the night uh, back to Chicago uh, because our initial customers were here. 
Um, and so we were a lot more, you know, we wanted to be close to where our customers were. And two, we need, we knew all the post offices in Chicago where they were located. So our sales strategy in the beginning was to basically stand outside the post office and convince other e-commerce businesses to give us their packages. And so our pitch to YC was, look, we don't know where the post offices in San Francisco are, but we definitely know where they are in Chicago. So we want to be close to the customers and be close to the post office so that we can acquire more customers. So we never really moved, which uh-huh. in hindsight worked out. Yeah, that was, makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. So that that direct access to your customers was was there. You were you were pretty much on ground, you know, trying yeah. to, to 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 acquire customers in person, you know, before actually even buying any media or you know creating community. Interesting, interesting. And then when you pitched it to YC, was it in its current in? how you envisioned it was, was, was it a soft, was, was it purely software when, when you pitched to, to um, a software solution, when you pitched to YC or was it software with, um, with warehouses and how, how was that received if it was software with warehouses? Uh, I think it was closer to the latter to software and warehouses coming together. Um, you know, I think to give YC and a lot of early investors credit, um, they they believed um, in our ability to execute on this uh, business, which to your point is is a way is not a pure SaaS business, which which most uh, investors are more comfortable investing in. So our premise was that hey, if we are just a software company, our customers are paying us to help them ship their packages out. So they want a great experience on the fulfillment side. And if we don't operate our fulfillment centers, especially at the beginning, we won't know where the bottlenecks and the pain points are. And so let's take the first few years in building and operating our own warehouses, really understand how fulfillment works. And once we have it down to a certain high confidence Mm -hmm. level, then let's partner with existing warehouses and take a more of an asset light approach. But the sequencing of starting off owning your own infrastructure, really understanding, and then moving towards an asset light future. I think that sequencing uh, was one of the hardest calls uh, that people had to get around on day one, because that would have meant, you know, CapEx investments, massive capital outlays in rent and, and so on, uh, which, you know, it's not a, it's not a hard, um, it's not an easy answer for investors who are predominantly investing in SaaS. So we would get a lot of, we got a lot of no's because again, also logistics is a very different margin profile business. So it's not a SaaS 80% margin business. So it requires a, a very different skill set, uh, both from an operator's perspective and also from an investor's perspective. Mm-hmm. It make, makes a lot of sense. So just forward, going back to, to Chicago, um, so when when you were um, you know in front of all the post post offices in Chicago, looking for e-commerce entrepreneurs, you know in person and convincing them to come in to use um, you know ShipBob, how did that process um, take place? What was the success there? And um, were you established? Did you did you have your own warehouse? And and what was like the first year of of running ShipBob? You know, um, like oh yeah, the well. At the beginning, it was all about doing everything possible to make sure that, you know, we can actually have a real business. And so that meant a customer acquisition uh, during the daytime. My co-founder, Devay, and then our early team members, Jeffco, 
Anthony, several others, you know, we were all in, involved in sales, which is convincing merchants to use us. Two, involved in warehouse operations, uh, making sure when they send us their products, it actually gets shipped out on time. Uh, and then in the nights, um, some of the early engineers and uh, me, we were basically hmm. programming to deliver on the features that we had promised to the merchants, you know, in the morning. And so it was a constant, like, make, make sure you can continue to ship more packages on behalf of the merchants. You can acquire hmm. new merchants and you can continue to program uh, to get better on the warehouse side and get better on the missing mm. features that the merchants need to trust their inventory with a new company. And, so and it was basically much for the first year, maybe mm. not even first year, I think for the first couple of years, three, four years, it was every day was, was a battle, all hands on deck to, mm-hmm. to, you know, to deliver on behalf of the merchants because we have the merchants inventory. You know, that's the hard, that's the piece is like merchants have to trust you with their inventory, which they have spent a lot of dollars in manufacturing, and so you can't let them down um, because you, um, you know, because you have such a intangible part of their business. Let's take this quick break to hear from our sponsors. The subscription market is predicted to grow to nearly 500 billion by 2025. As a fast-growing area in commerce, subscriptions hold tremendous opportunities to build a community of customers who share your values. Recharge is the leading subscription management solution helping e-commerce merchants of all sizes launch and scale subscription offerings. Recharge powers the growth of over 15,000 subscription merchants and their communities, turning one-time transactions into long-term customer relationships. Whether you're a direct-to-consumer business or an omni-channel brand, subscriptions strengthen the brand relationships with your customers and make it easy for customers to make repeat purchases. With subscriptions, merchants are able to experience predictable revenue, increased customer loyalty, and higher average order values. Turn transactions into relationships and experience seamless subscription commerce with Recharge. Get started today with subscription payment solution trusted by over 50 million subscribers worldwide by heading over to rechargepayments.com forward slash 2x. That is rechargepayments.com forward slash 2x. Did you know that loyal customers are nine times more likely to convert compared to a first-time shopper? That's why exceptional customer service is so important for your retention and growth. I recommend using Gorgeous, the leading help desk for Shopify, Magento, and big commerce merchants. Gorgeous combines all your communication channels, including email, SMS, social media, live chat, and phone into one platform. This saves your team hours per day and makes managing customer orders a breeze. It also integrates seamlessly with your existing tech stack so you can access customer information and even edit, return, refund, or create an order right from your help desk. To learn more, go to gorgeous.com. That's G-O-R-G-I-A-S.com and mention 2X e-commerce podcast for two months free. That is gorgeous.com for two months free. Just mention 2X e-commerce. 
your your initial warehouse. Oh, like ten thousand square feet, maybe in that ballpark. Oh, wow! Yeah, wow, wow. And then, how many sort of you know on ground handlers did you did you have? You know, um, you know, people who were really you know managing or holding the the inventory. Obviously, by now it's it's a lot more automated. I, I can imagine. Yeah. Well, uh, we we had maybe like. 10-ish, maybe 10 to 12 people uh, in a mm-hmm. in a warehouse, you know, people doing inbound, you know, if you look at the warehouse operations, it's inbound, which is receiving inventory, which merchants send you so that you need a couple of people to do that part, get that product in, put it on a shelf. Then you need a couple more people to pick it. Once an orders come in, you need somebody to go to that physical location, pick the items from the shelf, take it to the back station. Uh, the second, uh, the third operation is actually physically packaging the order up in the box and the tissue paper or whatnot. And then the final step is labeling, which is putting the shipping label mm-hmm. on the package and getting it ready for the FedEx, UPS, courier company's truck to come in. So we had to staff uh, each part of that business operation, receiving, picking, packaging, labeling uh, on day one because you need somebody to do each part of it. And then you just have to re- get really good at uh, filling up the capacity, making sure that each one of these people have enough work to do. And so that means new customer acquisition, et cetera, to make sure that you know, you're not overstaffed uh, to actually run a building profitably. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Speaking of acquisition, uh, after the you know feet on the ground, sales in the afternoon or morning, um, you know seeing people face to face. When did you start to say, okay, this is not really scaling, and um, how are we going to find alternative ways of recruiting, um, you know, new customers, acquiring new customers? And when did you sort of outgrow that ten thousand square footage, mm-hmm. um, square foot um, you know warehouse? Yeah, no, we outgrew uh, that 10,000 square feet warehouse pretty quickly, uh, which meant then, you know, getting a larger square footage warehouse and scaling out from there. Um, On the sales side, you know, I think uh, maybe I'll give you a a slightly different nuanced answer. So if you think of Shibab, you know, uh, having two sides of the equation, the demand side, which is customer acquisition, which is integral to any company's success. And then on the other side of the equation for ShipBob is the supply side, which is having, to your point, warehouse space or capacity to actually service that demand side. Between There's always this tension between demand and supply because if you grow any part of the equation too aggressively, uh, the other part will start to suffer. So you have to always balance the demand and the supply very carefully. So at ShipBob, generally speaking, between demand and supply, you know, We've generally, we've found in our, we have a phenomenal demand side. We have a great team of salespeople and a phenomenal revenue leader, revenue uh, marketing leader. Uh, for us, it's always been making sure we can scale the supply side, the space side, uh, commiserate with what we are seeing on the demand side so that we are not out of capacity in any given quarter or year. So a lot of our early time was, you know, making sure we can sp- scale the space equation as quickly as we are scaling the demand equation because there is enough of a demand uh, in the market for outsourced logistics because e-commerce entrepreneurs don't want to spend their time doing the packaging and the shipping. They rather spend their time doing the branding, the marketing, and building new products. And so there's, there's a need for a company like ours. But if you can't actually deliver on what the customer is signing up for, which is, do you can you take care of my inventory? Can you ship my products on time? It's like all of the stuff which goes on the supply side. 
that's that's where companies um, you know have a harder time scaling. And at ShipBob, so we had to get the sequencing of running your own warehouses, building the right software, and then going and seeking out additional partners or warehouses who have, who have incremental capacity and then build, bringing them onto a network, get the timing of the supply side right. I think that's where we spent a lot of our time mm-hmm. on making sure we can get it right. So when you say partnering with, with other warehouses, did you, did you rent this space off them? What, what did it, what did partnering look like? Yeah. So that evolution happened almost like two and a half, three years ago now. And what that meant was, you know, there's uh, enough of warehouse capacity mm-hmm. uh, in the uh, across the globe. However, not all of that capacity is operating uh, at the right, or at least at in the ShipBob standard. So we feel, um, you know, our initial um, presumption was, if we learn everything, if we get a chance to build the supply side from the ground up, we build the right warehouse management software, uh, which makes e-commerce operations of picking, packing, labeling, etc., a lot more efficient. We take the decision making, which happens inside the four walls of the warehouse, and bring them into the software layer. Then we can scale the supply side a lot more quickly because you know we've automated a lot of the manual decision making, which typically happens in people's um, you know at the fulfillment center associates level. And so once we had we, once we had enough of a system built out, we went to existing warehouses who had space uh, and said, look. We have access to a great demand side. We know merchants who love our product, but we don't have uh, we don't have enough space. So, but if you have unused capacity, we will bring in the software. We will train you on everything that we've learned over the last four years, and now you can be up to standards on you know on how to be best in class on the e-commerce logistics piece. And we will pay you for every single order that you ship on our behalf. So it's almost like a franchisee sort of concept with a very tight control on quality because ShipBob's is ShipBob software, it's ShipBob's training, etc. And so that allowed us to then scale the supply side, uh, you know, at a pretty steep clip versus trying to add all of the capacity on our own because that would have meant years and years of construction and making sure that the building is up to spec, et cetera. So we found a way to scale supply. um, And I think that's been an unlock in helping us grow. Uh, It kind of reminds me of Uber. Yeah. Well, the, the, the difference, though, I, I think uh, between us or or and other companies in the space the uh, and Uber is, you know, yeah. yeah, it's like Uber is transactional, right? Yeah. So you may not like one driver yeah. and doesn't matter because the next driver could be very different. But at ShipBob, merchants need to trust their network because it's a, it's a more, much more of a partnership relationship. So we are much closer to, I would think, like a Domino's or a McDonald's Got sort a of a franchisee franchise. network. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, where, where all of the business operations, no matter whether you walk into a McDonald's in New York or in London or in Oxford, it's exactly the same or it should exactly be the same. Yeah, yeah. Makes 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 a ton of sense. I, I never really realized that. I, I just thought that, you know, ShipBob was, was acquiring, um, you know, um, facilities and then, you know, just rolling out, you know, um, you know, um, your, your, with your staff and, you know, um, and, and tooling. Um, so, 
you know, you guys started in 2015. Um, the, there was a huge boom in, in commerce. Let's not talk about the 2020 boom um, as a result of um, the pandemic, but um, it was it was great timing. So, so what tailwind did you ride off the back? I, I'm I'm thinking it was Shopify. Um, what where did you start to say, okay, there's a lot of merchants activity here, and you know these the, you know these platforms will sort of give us that exposure and scale. Yeah, um, no, I think you nailed it. Um, I think the the market that that we that we benefited from was, of course, and if you're at a very macro level, it just became so much easier for designers, creators, entrepreneurs to go direct to their consumers thanks to platforms like Shopify, BigCommerce, uh, WooCommerce, Wix, Square, etc. And so in twenty. 15 or before, I guess, if you were a creator and you wanted to build a brand, you would have to hire engineers, you would have to build the entire infrastructure of creating your own website, etc. So it was 10x harder for you to do that. These platforms took away all of that friction from, from, from a front-end perspective. So that was one big change, which made it possible for thousands of entrepreneurs who had always dreamed dreamed of creating an online business, it made it possible for them to do that. So that was big change number one. Uh, Big change number two was uh, all of the social media like Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, Pinterest, etc. They started growing and their advertising platforms became sophisticated enough for brands of any size to be able to find an audience or a niche audience for their products. And so in the absence of social media or, or tools to just to market your products online, it these brands, entrepreneurs would have had a very tough time finding, you know, the an audience for their products. So that was the big shift number two, which is brands uh, actually started finding customers for their niche products, which would not have happened if the online made, social media did not exist. And I guess the third big change is uh, Amazon made it, you know, sort of so uh, in in shoppers' minds, it made two-day delivery accessible where customers just demand when they buy something online that their products get delivered to them in a two-day time frame. So brands then said, okay, well, you know, if I'm a small business and I only have one warehouse, which is my garage, how do I provide my shoppers the same experience that they get on Amazon Prime.com, on Amazon.com as a Prime customer? So I guess the confluence of all of those three big changes large number of entrepreneurs coming online for the very first time these entrepreneurs being able to find an audience for their products and that uh, that audience demanding from them an access to a cheap affordable two-day shipping option i think that uh, allowed a company like shibab um you know um, to to exist because there was finally demand for a product like ours yeah the the perfect storm really um just good great timing was your original e-commerce store running on shopify no, we built it on our own. So it wasn't um, on Shopify. It was, you know, we are in, we built the entire stack, which we probably should not have. Yeah. Super, super interesting. Um, ShipBob now is is a huge company. Um, just looking at your crunch base, you, you've raised 350, $330 million to date, at least according to, to, to Crunchbase. On, on LinkedIn, you have over 700 employees um, how how is the day to day at the moment running Shipbomb? Oh uh, yeah, no, it, it, it's it's quite evolved from from when I 
when I and they were started the business. So now, you know, we have um, really strong leaders in each section of the business. So we have a revenue leader, we have a marketing leader, we have a product engineering operation. So, uh, so that means, uh, you know, the, the, these folks are really uh, experts because they've done scale before. So the advantage of hiring of people, um, you know, uh, like like our senior leaders is that uh, they've gone through this uh, journey of scaling before so they're not learning it right alongside us so they can actually teach us based on what their experience have been at their previous organization and so if i look at all of those functions um, you know i think we have a very strong leader um, helping and guiding us to make sure that we can take full advantage of the market opportunity in front of us um, and so now it's more around sharing the business context with these leaders, um, making sure, you know, we have a good handle on the culture um, uh, of the place and giving them the freedom um, to be able to operate on their own while still continuing to, you know, provide them enough context as to why are things done in a certain way so that they have the full context on the ship up. So it's less about going detail. It's more about, you know, maybe going a little more broad now. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. I can attest to your CMO, Casey Armstrong. I personally know him and yeah, he's he's a very, very strong leader. Right. Yeah. Um yeah, so he's awesome. He's amazing. He's, 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 he's <laughs> he knows everyone, so I'm not surprised. He, he, yeah. do, <laughs> he does indeed. He does indeed. He does indeed. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so speaking to um to fulfillment in 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 twenty twenty two to supply chain, um I mean what do you think are the fundamental pillars for for a commerce business um given the the economy you know um you know there, there's there, there, there are lots of challenges and um it, um go on marketplaces well, well do you do you want to just paint us a picture from a shipbot perspective you, you you have access to a lot of data on um the state of commerce from from a ship bob perspective uh, yeah, um, you know, I can give you at least uh, what we are seeing based on the data that we have access to. So our, I guess the first part of ShipBob's journey was, you know, speaking to merchants who are going direct to the customer base through their own website. And and the, most of these merchants had a very strong perspective that we don't want to do any, no other channel but our website is the right answer. That's was the mind perspective. Then over the last two years, uh, what has fundamentally changed is the rising cost of acquisition because all of these brands are targeting the customers on Facebook, Snapchat, you know, you name it, social media, et cetera. So these rising costs of, ac- uh, of acquisition take away the benefits of, uh, to some extent, take away the benefits of going direct because they're eating up into, you know, your margins and they're ba- basically the marketing costs are now exceeding the cost of going through a third party retailer, et cetera. And so a lot of these e-commerce brands are now starting to pivot and say, well, maybe going direct to the customer through my website is just one of the many channels that I have access to. And maybe going through marketplaces is channel number two. Maybe going into a retail, either as a dropship vendor or, you know, or sending my invent or being a third party vendor in Macy's, Nordstrom, uh, PetSmart, Target, maybe that's channel number three. And so I think the shift that we have seen in our own business is that merchants are no longer 
confined to like just one channel, which might be the one channel that they started off with, which was their website. But now they are coming to us um, because they want a multi-channel solution and they want, and they're more omni-channel as well. So multi-channel meaning I'm selling on multiple online channels, my website, my marketplaces, etc. And uh, omni-channel being, I'm also a doing wholesale and retail uh, through uh, brick and mortar, through my own storefronts, uh, if that's the case. And I want a fulfillment platform to be able to take my inventory and make it fungible across all of the different channels that I might choose to sell on. And the bet that a brand is taking is that once I get a customer to use my product, they will like it. They will then engage with me on on social media or on multiple channels. And eventually I will be able to build this uh, loyal customer base who will come back and maybe make repeat purchases from my website uh, in the future. So it's still very much like I want to build a connection with my customer, but it might be it might take different forms. Yeah, almost like a distribution, um, you know, strategy in, 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 in that sense. And um, are there any brands that, that are um, seeing success from this strategy or um, is it too early to, to, to say? No, I think we have uh, quite a few number of brands who have executed on this pretty successfully. Uh, you know, there are several examples of it on our, on our website as well, uh, where brands started off directly, you know, started off only on their website, but have now over the last couple of years, couple of years have scaled out to several different channels, including B2B and retail. I think now you might be an exception if you are not doing that. I think, uh, again, I, I can look up the data, but I think most brands are now, um, you know, starting to do that. And also these retailers like Target, Macy's, Nordstrom, etc. If you had talked to them maybe five years ago, they would have said, well, we're not interested in speaking to local, small brands because nobody's heard of them. Now they're taking a very different approach. They're saying, well, our shoppers actually want us to carry these brands. They want to buy from local brands, um, et cetera. So there's a little bit of a change from a retailer's perspective as well as to what sort of a catalog are they carrying in their stores. Mm -hmm. So that's also useful. Okay. Some e-commerce brands prefer to, to have their own facilities um, as against the 3PL. Um, my question is, do how long do brands stay with with 3PL providers such, such as ShipBob? Do they mature out of it or do they say, okay, we're going to do a, a hybrid where we we should have some stock. We should have our own facilities, you know. Uh, however, um, working with shipboard startups for upstarts, um, but you know, as you continue to go further up the chain, um, you know, your 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 requirements may change. Totally, yeah. Great question. So, I guess uh, on the on one hand, you know, there are brands who started off with outsourcing their fulfillment right from day one. And they've continued to grow into multi hundred million dollar brands who have said like, hey, I never owned and operated my own buildings. I really see no reason to do that uh, because, you know, my provider, whether that's ShipBob is doing a really good job in helping me scale because as a brand by itself, I don't have scale, but uh, because ShipBob aggregates scale on behalf of so many different merchants, uh, you know, there's benefits to that. Uh, for, so, I think for those businesses, it's unlikely 
uh, that they would ever choose to insource their operations because it's a tall order, right? Hiring all of the labor, renting a warehouse over the long term, etc. That's real uh, dollars. And so if you're, get, if you're generally used to running a variable cost business uh, where you pay on a per usage, transitioning a variable cost business to a fixed cost business where you have leases and hourly employees that you have to pay, that's a very hard ask um, for a business to do. So I don't see that happen. However, there are several large businesses who have who are large and run their own warehouses. For them to now outsource 100% of the fulfillment on day one to uh, to ShipBob is also a, a tall order because you know it's unlikely that they can just cancel their leases and let go of their hourly associates at the warehouse, etc. But they still want to take advantage of our growing network, especially a global network or B2B business, etc. So for those merchants. You know, we have a program which is pretty interesting. It's called Merchant Plus, where you can run your own building on our on our WMS or on using our software, but you can still take advantage of our overall network. And so you get the benefit of seeing all of your inventory, seeing all of your orders under one software uh, uh, platform. You get take advantage of ShipBob's warehouse management system, which has been built to, you know, for 50 plus sites that ShipBob is already operating. So you get all of those capabilities and you also get the uh, ability to run your building uh, under that software. So it's a combination, it's a mix of, uh, it's the best of both of those worlds. And we are seeing larger businesses who, you know, have their own buildings take advantage of that Merchant Plus program. And it just unifies the, the your, your entire stock take, you know, um, in, in your supply chain, uh, I would think. Yeah. So instead of running two different uh, software solutions and two different process paths, one for your outsource, one for your in-house, you're basically aggregating all of that under one umbrella. And and uh, and the advantage is like ShipBob, because we're also using the exact same software, we are constantly making updates and upgrades. So you get the advantage of consistently getting a better or a improved WMS every other week uh, that ShipBob pushes out new changes. Got it. Got it, got it, got it, got it. Uh, and I was going to speak to like international shipping. Actually, earlier on um, today, I spoke with um, the CEO of um, mm. Global E. Um, you, you, you must know them in terms of like international shipping. They, they enable really the payments, you know, layer stack in, in international shipping. And, and I'm thinking one supply chain with with expansion say you you've you've localized your payments with with a solution such as global e and you're seeing traction from a particular geo and you want to localize you you know ship bob is a is you know three feel like ship bob would be a very good solution to localize you know that and because you've already gotten all the data from from transactional volume right are you saying is, is that a trend yeah absolutely so we have warehouses now in you know uk in Europe, in Canada, in Australia. And if I look at the merchant base that is taking advantage of localizing their supply chain, these brands are generally very early in their life cycle. It's not like they've been around for 10 plus years. They're generally, you know, maybe year two, year three, maybe sometimes even sooner. And and you ask like, why is that? Uh, why are these brands starting to go global a lot sooner? No, my, my, my question is is really what you're seeing as in whether there's a rapid adoption of, um, you know, localization of um, the supply chain, especially when it is so easy now to sell, yep. um, you know, um, internationally once you've, you know, sort of worked out the the online experience, you know, um, then and and your shipping, you say with with DHL, um, you, you're sometimes you're going to start asking yourselves questions. 
Yep, absolutely. Yeah, we are definitely seeing that uh, pretty aggressively in our data. And so, you know, I guess the macro ans- uh, reason why that is, is because the cost of acquisition uh, for uh, U.S. brands uh, in the U.S. Has, has skyrocketed. So they're trying to find other cheaper ways for me to acquire customers where there is some interest for my products. And so the cost of acquisition, if it's cheaper in international markets like Canada, U.K., or Europe, or even Australia, then it makes sense for me to target my marketing dollars in those areas. Now, when I target those customers, those customers don't want to wait two or three weeks before they can get their orders. They want to make sure that they can get their orders, you know, in a two-day, three-day time frame, very consistent with what they get when they buy from a local e-commerce brand. So for these, uh, for uh, for merchants, then localizing the supply chain to position their inventory close to the end shopper, no matter where they, that shopper might be, becomes pretty relevant if they're trying to build a global brand and they're mm-hmm. trying to attract an audience in a in a different geography than the U.S. and and so uh, the success of Global E and Shabab and several other companies who've made this possible. Uh, I think is I think I guess my point being it's it's in the entire ecosystem of applications and companies who've made it easy enough for brands to take advantage of of the of a global yet localized supply chain. It like it's not just Shiba, but like companies like globally, um, companies tax companies like Avalara. Um, and so many yeah. others uh, who've made it yeah. possible. Yeah, makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Now, speaking of um, international markets, um, what you, you do have facilities in Australia, right? That's right. What any 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 insights, any takeaways from 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 you know expanding to Australia? What, what, what any trends you can share, please? Oh. Uh- well, from I think one, the Australian uh, Australian e-commerce market is booming. Um, there are a lot of these entrepreneurs uh, based out of Australia, you know, uh, who of course are using our Australian fulfillment centers, but they are also using our U.S. or a global footprint. And so, Australia by itself might be an, not might not be a massive market, but these merchants, what they're interested in is experimenting. Uh, in Australia, and then once they get to some scale, to expand into the U.S. pretty quickly. And so again, that's the reason why we went into Australia because if we can bring those merchants into the U.S. Uh, sooner than later, I think that's a net positive for their businesses as well. So, but Australia overall, we are super bullish on our ability to execute that. You know, a multi-node strategy where not all of your inventory is in one location, so you're so you don't really have a single point of failure. So if you're one warehouse. Uh, gets shut down because of COVID or any other natural calamity, you at least can continue operating as a business from the rest of the network. So our strategy of having a pretty diversified network across the globe, I think that's uh, that's definitely something that a lot of merchants are taking advantage of. Um, and, and two, I think around just maybe on the inventory side, I think we're seeing cycles uh, of it like, if all of your, if you, again, this goes back to resiliency and efficiency, um, if all of your manufacturing happens from one manufacturing hub and that manufacturing hub gets shut down, now you don't have inventory to sell. Um, and so I think merchants, again, realizing uh, on the manufacturing side, hey, it does a diversified set of manufacturing manufacturers make sense for me? And the sort of the other side of the equation here is, if you're too diversified, uh, then you don't have any scale. So you lose out on all of the efficiency gains that come out of 
you know, consolidating operations under one roof. So I think there's a little bit of a balance that merchants businesses need to do based on what is right for them on how much efficiency should they seek versus how much resilience that they, they, they want to operate with. So it's, it's not a one answer for anyone, but I think this notion of resiliency, I think has definitely come up a lot. Uh, you, you echo a lot of sentiments. Last year, I attended um, the there's an SAP exactly what you said. You know, consolidation versus um, you know that resilience and you know um, reducing you know um, efficiency of skills. So they're more towards a resilience and decentralization, but it's still a challenge from a scalability standpoint. So yeah, you're bang on there. Right. Um, we can go on and on and on. I thoroughly, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, um, particularly the backstory of ShipBob. I've never heard it anywhere else. Um, thank you for sharing that, um, the, the early days of ShipBob. Before I let you go, um, you're a very special guest. So I'd like to take you through our evergreen rapid fire question session. I'm going to ask you about six, maybe seven questions. And if you could use a single sentence, please, to answer each of these questions years ago. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. What does your morning routine look like? Well, I get up pretty early around five. I have my coffee. I, I, I still get a physical newspaper in the mail. So I read my newspaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, then by six, uh, my dog wakes up. And so I have to take him out for the morning walk and morning food. And then by seven, I'm at work. What two things can't you live without? My iPad and uh, my phone. Uh, the book that I was reading till yesterday, I think that it was When Breath Becomes Air. It's a beautiful story about a neurosurgeon who gets diagnosed with uh, terminal cancer. The fiction or nonfiction? Oh, it's nonfiction. It's his okay. biography. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Right. Um, what three indispensable tools um, do you use to... Actually, let's move on to that. What's been your best mistake to date? By that, I mean a a, a setback that's given you the biggest feedback. Uh, yeah, well, you know, in our business, it, it, especially in the early days, you had to sign these warehouse leases, which were like anywhere from three to five years long. And so if you got that wrong, that means you, you know, you under forecasted the business. And that means you're stuck with that space, which can no longer accommodate new customers, which would set the sales back. And so that forced in us um, the ability or the muscle to think a little more long term because you're signing up for these long term contracts, which can which can really hamper your business if you get it wrong in any direction. Um, so you know, and and we've made a lot of those mistakes. Those real real estate mistakes uh, stay by you for a long time, mm. or at least for the, as long as the duration of the leases. Dravi Saxena, it's been an absolute pleasure having you. Um, this is the intersection of tech and, and warehousing and real estates and supply chain. <laughs> Incredible stuff. Thank you for, for coming to 2X e-commerce podcast. No, absolutely. Brilliant questions. Thank you for, for asking me and for having me on your show. Cheers. Awesome. Thanks for listening to this episode of 2X e-commerce. We encourage you to connect with our community of 2X e-commerce listeners on our Facebook group, e-commerce growth accelerator mastermind. Just search for 2X e-commerce on Facebook to find it. Answer three questions and you'll be approved. Grab the show notes of this episode on our website, 2xecommerce.com. Finally, if you haven't already, give the show a review on your podcasting app. Catch you on the next show and keep growing.